This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome along to The Garden Show. I'm Frank Proctor, your sous chef of the garden. And way over there to the east, Prince Edward County, in that new home, lovely new home, is Charlie Dobbin. Good Good. morning, Charlie. Good morning, Frankie. How are you? I'm fine. Uh, We didn't even have a chance to chat before we uh, get (laughs) on the air here. I got tied up with other stuff going on at the station and looked at my, oh, gee... So came running uh, in. We uh, can wing it. Yeah, good. that's right. Well, I printed off all the emails that you had sent me Great. late last night. That listener <laughs> sent me. Yeah, good. Yeah. So uh, what's what's cooking there at, in the home hey, front? It is a gorgeous day here. The sun is shining. The snow is crystally sparkly. Uh, it's really very pretty day. Well, yeah. I'm looking out uh, on Liberty Street, and it's very cloudy in, oh. in Toronto right now, <laughs> at least in our, our section. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, looking forward to a warmer weather. We're you know, past the mid part of February, and uh, it won't, won't be long before some of the warmer weather hits us. Well, huh? well that's right. And, oh, I think we're all looking forward to spring. You know, this uh, this spring particularly. I think we all just need to get outside, get take a break. And uh, <laughs> I'm just setting up. So you know, I'm just setting up some uh, interviews with some great people to bring on the show. You know, people might love you and me, Frank, but I think that they they like to hear different voices, too. <laughs> exactly. Sure. <laughs> um, sure. I will have a couple of guests joining us from Stoke Seeds, and I'm just sending an email right now to Fr- Fraser Hetherington, maybe next Saturday. We'll oh, that'd be some, great. A uh, couple of people to join us. They'll be on the phone, of course, so there'll be a lot of... Carlos will be a magician putting it all together from St. Catharines, Prince Edward County, and downtown Toronto. But certainly our, our, our listeners can phone in and ask any questions they want about Stoke Seeds, because I'm pretty jazzed up. They've got a great catalog. It is so pretty and so inspiring and so accessible. Uh, free catalog available at www. Stoke, well, Stoke Seeds. So Stoke Seeds, not too many S's in there, dot com, or one 800 396 9238, give them a call. They'll send you the catalog and you can ooh and ah like I am. And I'm just putting together an order for a seeds. I'm pretty excited. Good stuff. Okay. And speaking of phone numbers, gosh, I better give ours out here <laughs> so folks can call in uh, with a question for you, Charlie. In Toronto, call 416 360 And then anywhere in the province, it's toll free 1 866 740 4740. When you call in, if you're a first time caller, in particular, let Carlos know. He'll let me know, and you're going to hear that just before you hit the airwaves. Get your garden wings. And our little mantra goes this way. Call early, call often, one question per call. You can always call back, as some some folks have done that uh, several times. And it works. It works. Okay, uh, Charlie, we're going to take a little bit of a break and then come back and say hi to our first caller coming in right now on Zoomer Radio. 
Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Alrighty, Charlie, let's go to the phone lines and say hi to our first caller today. And that would be Elizabeth here in Toronto. Good morning, Elizabeth. Uh, good morning. Um, I, uh, I just would like to have the phone number for Stoke Seeds repeated. But that's not my question. <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure we can do that for you. Uh-huh. Thank you. And um, the other thing, uh, my question is that I bring in a variety of large plants in big pots for the winter. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if I can, which I'm already doing, put coffee grinds, tea leaves, and crushed eggshells type of thing into the soil of these large pots. Mm-hmm. You can, um, depending... The, the main thing is nothing in excess. I mean, I mean, you can't really put too many crushed eggshells, and you do really want to crush them. But I wouldn't sort of pile on inches of coffee grind. There's no question of very thin, thin layers of tea leaves or coffee grinds, and then no more until those have disappeared down into the soil because you can end up with the excess of various and sundry uh-huh. things that you may not want in your pots. It's uh, in the summer and spring, of course, I assume you, you just take those coffee grounds straight outside, or do you continue to put them in the pot year-round? Sometimes I put them in the pot year-round as well mm-hmm. and, you know, just scatter them. Yeah, I mean, the, the trick with any um, un, um, undecomposed organic matter, like coffee grounds or, or eggshells, is you, it, you, it, it needs to be decomposed. It, and it will. It will slowly but surely break down. It'll be microorganisms, things you can't see, that will break down the, the coffee grounds, the tea leaves. However, in our pots, typically the soil does not have a lot of life the way the soil in the ground does. Right. The potting soils and soilless mixes tend to be completely inert. They, they're completely sterile when we plant into them. But if you're going in and out with these big pots, you're probably picking up some uh, some life along the way, which would help break down some of those uh, the grounds. Just be careful, like I say, n- nothing in excess. Thank you very, very much. Oh, and you're Charlie, very welcome, and I'll do have, that phone number. Oh, yeah. that's great. Okay, I was just going to ask if you'd do that. Thank you. Okay. Uh, all right, get your pens out, everybody. So if you can't, email www.stokeseeds.com and request a catalog. You can phone them at 1-800-396-9238. And, of course, Stoke Seeds is in St. Catharines, and I'm hoping we'll have a couple of guests right from their office, their their packing line, their seed packaging line, will we'll be joining us next Saturday. Okay, I'm going to re- repeat that number, 1-800-396-9238. Excellent. Yeah. Thank okay. you very much, Charlie, for doing that. Oh, um, I, I, let me refer to an email. No, I didn't have a chance to check out the photograph that uh, Gail Wilkie <laughs> sent you, but she said, can you please tell me what kind of evergreen this is and how may I safely repot it? Right. This is Gail in, in Peterborough. In Peterborough. Yep. So, yeah. So she sent a very large photograph of a very small, what looks like little tiny spruce tree, you know, baby spruce tree. It's maybe a year old in a little pot wrapped up in sort of Christmas packaging. So this would have been sold at Christmas time as an indoor decorative, you know, baby Christmas tree uh, that obviously is something you can plant outside eventually. The challenge is, is that this is a hardy tree. It wants to eventually grow 
40 feet tall and 20 feet wide. So it's a big tree eventually. But right now it's just a little baby that will grow into a Great Dane. And it is something that is in the home, which it appears to be in this picture, it is right now very tender and cannot go straight outside. So what I would do, Gail, I would get it out of the pot, out of the, the gift wrapping stuff, look at the bottom of the pot, see if there are any roots coming out the drainage holes or you see any roots at all. If you do, I would pot it up to one size larger pot. I think it might be in about a four or six inch pot at the largest right now. So only one size up from there with fresh uh, soilless mix or potting soil. Pot it back up, water thoroughly, keep it in a sunny location, water as necessary, don't ever let it dry completely out. And as soon as we start to get some real spring and you can start to introduce this little guy to the real world, you're going to slowly but surely, you'll take it outside for an hour a day into the shade and then you'll slowly take it out for two hours a day into the sun and it'll be a slow, it's called hardening off where we introduce our tender plants to the real world and within a month or so, so by that time, of course, it's probably late May, early June, you'll be able to plant that plant outside in the ground. Hopefully you have a spot or you have a friend you can give it to to get it outside. And then it's so little, make sure nobody steps on it or runs it over with a lawnmower, put some stakes or some ribbon or something around it so it can grow up to be a beautiful plant. Beautiful tree. Yeah, Norway spruce, probably. Oh. Excellent. Okay, we're up to our first break, and when we come back, Charlie, I'm going to be reaching for that bell because we've got a first-time caller on the line. So stay tuned for that, my friends, here on The Garden Show. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, flocks, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, indeed, and as I indicated, we're going to have a first-time caller. As a matter of fact, we've got a couple of first-time callers lined up. First, Yeah, how about that? Uh, Here we are. This first time on the bell ring goes for uh, Wilma calling in from Newcastle. Good morning, Wilma. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Listen to you every Saturday while I do my chores in the kitchen. <laughs> Good. What's your question? I bought huh? a cat grass kit uh-huh. to try and keep my cat away from my um, um, my aloe plant and my spider plant. Yeah, good idea. Uh, yeah, except it, it wasn't really a kit. It came with vermiculite and mm-hmm. seed and no instructions, and I haven't a clue what to do. <laughs> Just straight vermiculite, no uh, soil or peat moss or anything? Nothing. Huh. <laughs> well, what I do, because I, I hear you 100%, my cat who never touches any indoor plants always starts looking longingly at them in January and February. And, and my cat does love to chew on the lawn when it's you know in season outside. Yeah. So what I do is I do plant the cat grass, which is actually oats. Typically, it might be a little bit of wheat mixed in there as well, but it's it's little, you know, the young sprouts are, are very tasty for cats. They love it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I typically do? I'll take like a Chinese takeout container. So like a low, maybe only an inch, inch and a half tall container, typically plastic. Sometimes I'll use even a, a loaf pan, you know, just something that you don't want to put it in. I find that the round pot, you don't get much in there, and then it's often the wrong height for the cat to be able to chow down. I mean, okay. my cat, I my cat will just lie in it. 
Yeah. So, um, but any container will work. The main thing is just get as big of a kind of a surface area as you can. So you've got a nice, a nice grazing spot for the kitty cat. And then if it is straight vermiculite, you're just going to want to saturate the vermiculite, uh, sprinkle the seeds, and then only barely cover them with a little bit of vermiculite or soil or peat moss. But if you don't cover them at all, then they, the cat, when he starts chewing, they'll, they'll pull right out. So a little bit of coverage, but not a lot. You don't want to bury them too deep. They do need to, to be almost on the surface. And if you can provide some heat from below, whether it's a heating pad or a proper seed heating pad, or in my case, I have a heated bathroom floor, and I just, to, to speed up seed germination, if you can get some heat from below, you'll find that the seeds will grow very, very quickly. And once they're up an inch, inch and a half, I, I let the cat go to town. <laughs> oh, great. Now I can start planting it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Wilma. Thank you very much for good calling luck. us. Good luck. Let us know how that will <laughs> Have a good weekend. Thank you. Take care of the folks in Newcastle for us, would you? Um, we have another first-time caller I'll get to in a couple of moments. First, another email in dealing with this one from Angela Smith from, uh, let's see, oh, I don't think she's, oh, yeah, North York. She <laughs> says, uh, have you ever done any winter sewing? That's S-O-W-I-N-G. And if so... <laughs> How did it go? And goes on to ask, could I plant some echinacea seeds using this method? From a loyal listener. Yes, indeed. Angela, thank you. So I guess what Angela is referring to by winter sowing is the idea of sowing seeds indoors as opposed to going outside in the spring and just sprinkling seeds out onto the the land. Um, So, yes, could you plant echinacea seeds? Absolutely. And, you know, there's so many different seed choices out there, and of course the Stokes catalog will give you a good sense of that. Um, we sow seeds, many seeds we have to start them indoors because they take so long to germinate and to be mature enough to set flowers. And if we're growing them for flowers, then of course we are going to like echinacea, then sowing them indoors is a good idea because otherwise it'll be so late in the season by the time we get any flowers. Um, or if it's Vegetables, where again there's a flower and then a fruit, like tomatoes or cucumbers, again, we'll often start those indoors just to ensure that the plants are big enough and, you know, mature enough to, to give us what we're planting them for once they do get outside. So with echinacea seeds, uh, the, the rule of thumb is plant them indoors eight to ten weeks before you're going to take them outside. So in North York, assume that your outside time frame would be around about June 1st. Maybe a little bit earlier, depending on what kind of spring we have. Count back eight to ten weeks and then get prepared to start your seeds. You're going to need some seed, what we call seed starting soil or germination mix. Uh, and you will see that for sale right now. Garden centers, home um, renovation stores who have any kind of a setup with seeds will also have not only just a regular potting soil or, or container soil, they will have a seed starting mix. So that's what you want. It's a finer ground product. The media is very, very um, light, but it's also ground very fine, which makes the seeds have an easier time of it when it's time to get growing. Get yourself some peat pots or something like peat pots, the little tiny pots or, or a, yeah. What I like about peat pots is that you, you <clears throat> it's just like a little pot, tiny little pot, maybe an inch, inch and a half across, you fill your seed starting mix into that. Everything's nice and moist. And you plant your seeds 
And when they start to grow and you've kept them green and healthy and they're all robust and vigorous and it's time to take them outside, you plant them pot and all outside. Uh, but you, you can also plant into plastic or, or something similar. Uh, make sure, again, everything's moist um, in terms of – because the, the soil is always so dry. So moisten it. Cover your little echinacea seeds with an eighth of an inch to a quarter inch of soil. They do, those seeds need to be in the dark in order to germinate. So that's, you don't necessarily have to put them in the dark, but that cover, that soil coverage will provide the dark that's required. Warm that soil up if you can. There's that uh, heating pad again, 70 to 75 degrees Fahrenheit. Soil temperature will speed up germination and expect it within a, a week to two weeks to, to start seeing little green plants emerging. And once they're emerging, then of course, Lots of light is required and, and careful watering and misting and all that important stuff. But, uh, yeah, certainly let us know, Angela, if you need more help. Get those seeds germinated to start with, and then we'll, we'll follow up with uh, more information if you need it. Excellent. Okay. Uh, Frank's reaching for the old bell here because mm-hmm. we're welcoming another first-time caller to the show, Ed in Uxbridge. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Frank and Charlie. How are you this morning? Great. Excellent. How are you? And welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I listen to you often in my workshop when I'm out there uh-huh. on Saturday mornings, and uh, I came in the house too late to phone you last week, so I thought I'd try today. Good for you. Okay. Um, I really enjoy your show. It's very informative. Here, here's the situation. It, it's nothing to do with stoke seeds because I, I'm not a real gardener, but I have a, a chestnut tree that my wife and I bought between 12 and 15 years ago. Um, in the last five years, it's the leaves... Um, are beautiful. They start to come out around May, June, mm-hmm. and by late August, mm-hmm. things start to get brown, and yeah. they start from the lower branches mm-hmm. and work up to the top. Mm-hmm. And I went to my local nursery, and, and a young fellow said to me, you've got spores, and they live in the leaves that fall on the ground. And uh, the advice was to get some kind of soapy water and get rid of those leaves, and you probably will take care of the issue. It didn't work. <laughs> I need help. Okay, okay. So, I, I, so let's just be clear here, because when we talk about spores, spores yeah. are the fruiting bodies of fungus. So, because fungus doesn't produce seeds, they produce spores. Soapy water is used to control typically insects. So, um, so you did. It sounds like do a soapy water spray at some point last summer on the tree. Yes. That's right. And you saw no difference in the uh, yellowing of the leaves later. That's right. Uh, okay, so here's what I know. I'm just trying to look quickly if there's anything new that I don't know on this one. <laughs> way, way back when I went to university and we were studying trees, because I do love my trees, chestnut trees, lovely, lovely native tree, um, you know, have always loved them. And, and the flowers in the spring, the interesting leaves, the wonderful fruit that when I was a kid, you know, we did a lot of bonkers with. And, uh, um, <laughs> conkers, bonkers, whatever they were called. But the problem, yeah, the problem for chestnuts is that they do get, it's a syndrome. It's not even a disease. It's not an insect. It's called, it's actually just called scorch, and it's exactly what looks happens to the leaves. Late summer, those beautiful leaves are so green all through June and July, the edges start to turn yellow and brown and get crispy, and that slowly but surely will move into the center of the leaf until the entire leaf is yellow and brown and crispy, and it drops. It, it defoliates early. Right. And there's 
absolutely, as far as I know, nothing you can do about that. That is just the, what happens. Now, there are some environmental conditions that, that will support that happening more often than not. So, as you pointed out, the last couple of years, and what have we had the last couple of years, but some very hot, dry summers. Mm-hmm. So, those hot, dry summers will certainly um, um, pro, you know, sort of provide the environmental impact that, that the chestnut will drop, will, will absolutely show uh, symptoms of scorch. The good thing, though, is that the, it's so late in the season that the tree typically has had a, a full summer of growing and of proper photosynthesis. And, and it's, if you're caring for these, this tree, so that means fertilizing in the spring, watering as required through the growing season, pruning if necessary, keeping it, you know, clean and tidy and, and well-shaped and, and, you know, we get big winds, make sure that if anything gets broken, you're cleaning it up, keeping it healthy and vigorous. It won't matter. You, you'll eventually have a summer where it's a cool, damp summer, and that won't happen. But uh, for now, as long as you're having hot, dry summers, that will happen. But your job is to keep the plant healthy and vigorous so that it will be able to take advantage of the sun when it has the green leaves in June and July and early August. Okay. So All right. it's not at risk of dying, then. It's just going to well, happen every year because... Yeah. Well, it, not every year, but, you know, the the conditions, if they're right, it, it'll... Yeah. It'll well, it, yeah. When it could... It, it, see, the problem with early defoliation for any tree is that when they lose their leaves early, it means that they've lost the ability to continue to photosynthesize. Mm-hmm. And why do plants photosynthesize is to produce energy for themselves to grow. So if... Any early defoliation can be hard on a plant. The earlier in the season, the harder it is, and they end up growing another set of leaves, and that takes a ton of energy. But late in the season, usually the chestnuts just shut down and, and go into an early dormancy. So, um, yeah, don't. Uh, I, I'll double check if there's anything new on this subject that I that has changed in the last thirty or forty years. But that is what I learned about chestnuts, and that is what I've seen in the landscape. Like I say, for the last thirty, forty years. Okay, well, listen, that's that's encouraging, anyhow. So okay, good. And yeah, keep keep listening, and I'll I'll let you know if I if I learn anything new. Okay, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Ed. I just had a great mental picture of him out in that little workshop, working away, <laughs> listening to us on the radio. Um, oh, I have, now I, I I've got to agree with our next caller here, and a lot of folks I think are going to agree too. What Janice Land had to say regarding a lilac bush, but she says by opening up the note here, I've been enjoying your show and am amazed at your knowledge of all things presented to you. And it's just a great example that you've just offered, Charlie, that you're, you're never through learning. You always keep mm-hmm. you know, going going back to subjects to see that you're um, up on the latest stuff. Good for you. So, anyway, the note from Janice Land says, I have a lilac tree bush <laughs> in the backyard. It was there when we moved in six years ago, and it is sad. It blooms, but mostly at the top. It's about eight feet tall. Could you suggest a way for me to make it happier? Thank you, Janice. Yeah, Janice, uh, excuse me, followed up with a note after that to tell me she was writing from Midland. So oh, that's her, her area. Um, you know what, Janice, what you've got going on in your yard is not unusual. We do tend to ignore our lilacs and we let them just do their thing. And they get taller and taller. And before you know it, there's no leaves at the bottom. And all the flowers are way up too high where we can't enjoy them at all because they're way above our, no- our noses. So what do you do? You need to rejuvenate the entire plant. I would consider it as a shrub as opposed to a tree. 
if it's a tree, it's a single-stemmed plant. Lilac trees are tough to grow. Better to grow it as a shrub with multi-stems. And how do we do that? Well, starting this spring, right after this plant flowers, you're going to look closely at the plant, and you're going to remove the weaker and older, less vigorous branches right from ground level. And who knows how many branches you've got growing on that plant now. You cannot... It's not recommended that you kind of take the whole thing down to six inches tall, though technically you can do that. Even if it's a vigorous, healthy tree or plant, it will grow back. But rejuvenation usually is done by a process of over several years, taking out the oldest growth, encouraging young growth from the bottom, because suckers will always grow on lilacs from the base, and encouraging and selecting the the strongest, best-looking suckers, removing the ones that are weak, keeping the ones that are strong, and starting basically a whole new plant from the bottom. And over a period of two or three or four years, the older, you know, the big eight-foot-tall stuff goes away, and little stuff comes from the bottom. And uh, and you can have a beautiful, good-looking lilac bush that's three, four feet tall easily in three or four years. But do ensure that you, before you start anything that the plant is in good condition, that it's, you know, healthy and vigorous, Deep watering is always important when we get into drought. And, of course, we certainly had a hot, dry summer. So make sure that plants are not entering the spring weakened by how tough last summer was. Okay. Excellent. Thank you very much, Charlie. Um, let's see. Oh, we're going to our phone lines here. A reminder of the phone numbers just before we do that. 416-360-0740 in Toronto. Anywhere in the province, toll free. 1-866-740-4740. And uh, here in Toronto, Cheryl's on the line. Good morning, Cheryl. Hello, Cheryl. Yolas, and I've had no luck with them. But I bought a couple of bags, the bulbs, this year. I'm uh-huh. wondering, can I plant them in pots for my mom's deck? So what kind of bulbs are they? Like tulips, daffodils? Gladiolas. Oh, glad. Oh, lovely. Can you? Uh, you can, uh, unless they're dwarf glads. No. They, do, they get pretty tall. So that's the challenge with glads. Is, I mean, for a gladiola to flower, it's, uh, uh, you know, three feet tall. Mm-hmm. So you can't put it in a little shallow pot. It's got to go into a fairly deep. Does your mom's deck have any kind of like a, a raised planting pad or anything like no. that? Or, no. So what you have to do is get a good size, a big 10, 12-inch pot. And uh, you're going to insert those little gladiola bulbs just under the soil uh, surface. You're going to fill the pot with a good quality uh, potting mix or soilless mix, water thoroughly. Um, the glads, you, you'll tell there's a bit of a pointy end. So pointy end up. Mm-hmm. You can pack them into that pot. You can, you know, leave in the ground. We would, we would put them four to six inches apart, but in a pot, you can put them like a half an inch to an inch apart. So really pack them in there. Uh, and they'll come up as green leaves to start, but eventually by, by late, you know, mid to late summer, they will bloom. Okay. And then I can just bring the pot into the garage or the basement for the winter. Right. Or do I that- need to take them out? No, you can leave them in the pot. Be a pretty heavy pot to bring indoors, though, and you will have to make sure that they are frost-free over the winter. Um, with glads, they're so easy to store once they're dormant, once they've had a, a light frost and they've been knocked out in the fall. 
you just lift them, dry them, and then you just stick them into an old pair of pantyhose and hang them from a hook somewhere. They don't need any special care. They don't need to be refrigerated. They don't need to be packed in soil. They, they, they're usually stored just dry, uh, you know, in an, in an airy kind of a bag and, uh, and then replanted in the spring. Okay. Thank you. Right. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for calling in, Cheryl. And uh, we have to take a little bit of a break here. Coming back, a little heads up to Barbara listening in from Fergus, hopefully. Uh, Charlie's going to be dealing with your email next when we return here to The Garden Show on Zoomer Radio. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Alrighty, Charlie, as I indicated, we have an email to deal with from uh, Barbara, <clears throat> pardon me, in Fergus. She says, good morning, Charlie and Frank. This winter, we're burning a lot of wood in our fireplace. I'm aware that some plants in the garden do like more alkaline, but others prefer it more acidic. How can one determine the pH of the soil and any tips on using the wood ashes? There you go. Great question. Uh, it's certainly a timely as well. Uh, how do you yeah. determine the pH of the soil? Well, there are pH meters that you can pick up very affordably at your local garden centers. There's soil test kits, little home soil test kits. pH tests are one of the easiest tests to do with your soil. So certainly consider that because, yes, indeed, wood ashes can be used in our gardens and on our lawns, but you need to be very careful and use sparingly. So say you've got so many wood ashes, you'd go out obviously on a day when it's not windy and you would sprinkle a very, very fine, thin layer on your lawn uh, and those will drop down. But thin layer, we're talking just like a sprinkling. You can also stir wood ashes into your compost. So assuming you're a composter and you have a composter or two on your property, Stirring a little bit. What's a little bit? Um, well, in a regular square composter, you could put as much as maybe five, six, seven tablespoons, maybe a little bit more, and then stir. So, so it's, it is something where you have to be super careful. There's none of this kind of pouring it on. You will completely regret if you add too much ashes because potash is one of the, obviously the potash or potassium, is one of the ingredients, which is excellent. All our plants need potassium. But we also have a lot of lime or calcium in wood ashes. Well, so lime or or calcium will um, raise your pH to a more alkali pH. So that's why you're right. Always check your pH first. And don't put the ashes anywhere near plants that are what we call the acid-loving plants. So, you know, avoid if you've got things like rhododendrons or azaleas, uh, blueberries, uh, holly, even parsley would not particularly like wood ashes right specifically around the plants. Again, you can always mix into the compost where it's going to be well distributed, but uh, in terms of sprinkling right onto the garden, make sure that you're being super careful and nothing in large quantities because it's it's just like the woman who was called us earlier uh, um, talking about coffee grounds. Elizabeth was talking about coffee grounds in her pots and tea leaves. All these things are good, but nothing in excess. Okie dokie. Good advice once again from Charlie. Uh, let's see, we have, oh, uh, John from Mississauga on the line. Good morning, John. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Frank. Hope all is well with both of you. Yep. Excellent. How are you doing, John? Not too bad. Well, hibernating, but uh, I'm looking forward <laughs> for March. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, pruning and, um, Charlie, I've tried this year to leave my, or to pot, 
my herbs in the bay window. Mm-hmm. The rosemary is doing fine, but the basil, so-and-so. Yeah. What's the problem? Probably too cold in the bay window. Basil or basil needs really, really warm situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you know what I did? So I've got the same thing. I got rosemary inside, perfectly fine. I, I left parsley because parsley is a biennial, so it, it's actually a pretty hardy plant. So uh-huh. I left parsley in a pot out on my three-season porch, so no um, heat, obviously, but not as, as cold as directly outside. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because it completely collapsed. It looks like it's green, but it's just flopped. And I go out there with my scissors and I cut some parsley. I bring it inside to the warmth and it perks right up and it's like perfectly usable fresh parsley, even though it's completely flopped in a pot just outside the door. So, um, but basil is a hard one because it is so picky. It wants high heat, no drafts, perfect it, watering. It dries fast too, Charlie. Is it from the soil that it dries fast? Uh, it might be just the sun coming through the windows. You might yeah. have a... a, a the window is facing west. Right, so you've got lots of sun there. You probably have a, um, a, a vent, a heat vent somewhere around there. Yes, I do, yes. And you've got a vent deflector over top of that? There's no... Uh, well, yes, there is a, the the uh, deflector, though, is it's, uh, pointing against it, right? You know, I usually point it pointing. away from the wall. I point yeah. it across the floor away from the wall. Oh, uh-huh. yes, yes. Yeah, and now it just, it's just keeping that hot air from blowing onto the plants. But keeping the hot air in the house because you need it, right? Oh, yeah, no, no, no. The house is like, you know, 21, 22, right? Yeah, but basil is a really hard one. I find it's too much water, it'll turn black. Uh, Too low of temperature, it'll turn black. Too much humidity, it'll turn black. Everything's perfect, (laughs) it's great. (laughs) It's very fussy like me, huh? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But, you know, easy to start from seed, John. You might want to just get some more seeds going. Yeah. Okay, Charlie, Frank. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thanks, John. Have a good weekend, my friend. Thank you for tuning in here to Zoomer Radio. Uh, Just a quick uh, note to um, Dieter and Ann Rutledge uh, listening in from Honey Harbor. We hope we're going to be dealing, or at least Charlie's going to be dealing with your question coming up in just a couple of moments. And if you're waiting to find a perfect time to call, right now would be excellent because the lines are clear. You can give a call to Charlie in Toronto, 416-360-0740. Anywhere in the province, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. The Garden Show on the air from Zoomer Radio. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. All righty, Charlie, a note from Ann Rutledge uh, and uh, her husband Dieter says, uh, My sister, who lives in Germany, sent me pictures of a lovely plant that she grows on her balcony in pots. It's called the Hellebores, also called Christmas Rose. My sister says she's able to maintain this plant on an all-year basis, mainly on her outside deck. We've never noticed this plant in any nursery or garden in our area, but would like to find out if we'd be able to grow it in our garden or in pots on the deck, our place, which is on Georgian Bay in the Muskoka area. So there you go from Dieter and Anne listening in from Honey Harbor. Uh, okay, so this is a great question. Uh, thank you, Anne and Dieter. So hellebore or helleborus is a lovely, lovely evergreen plant. So low-growing, evergreen leaves, um, 
grows in deep shade. So in the case of where you are, you might have very, some very established evergreens, but you need a soil that is super organic. So you're going to need lots of peat moss. You need a, a real fertile, um, somewhat deep soil, uh, and it needs to be a soil that is got good water retention. So because this is an evergreen, this plant needs to be sort of constantly, it's like a woodland plant. Now, the sister in Germany is obviously living in a more gentle climate than you are up on Georgian Bay. Where you are, you, I would say, are unlikely to be able to keep that plant alive in a pot on the deck because it'll be just too cold in the winter. Hellebores, or what we see, when we first learned about these plants, they were sort of coming out of England, and they call them Christmas roses because they bloom at Christmas time. And they're so early and spring bloomers that Christmas being early spring in uh, in the UK, they start blooming. But that doesn't happen here in Ontario or anywhere in Canada, really. Uh, so we call them Lenten roses because we will see them blooming very, very early in the spring. Sometimes you know, through the snow. So sometimes it might be like late March, early April, and they'll start to bloom. So Lenten rose or Helleborus, but they do need the shade and they do need that deep, you know, real organic soil. They are zone five plants, generally speaking. And where you live, that might be a little touch and go for zone five plants, but there are a couple of varieties that are zone four. It's a little tougher than uh, than the zone five. Um, so Helleborus, one is called Ivory Prince. Uh, Ivory Prince, there's another one called Royal Heritage. Both of those are cultivars that have been selected for Zone 4. So you know what? Check online, um, Dieter and Anne, or feel free to, to go to some garden center around you. will have hellebores or ask for them, and they'll get, get them to bring some in for you. Okay, excellent. Uh, we have Myra waiting online here uh, in Toronto here. So let's uh, welcome her to the show. Hi, Myra. Hi there, Charlie and Frank. Love your show. I've got a geranium question. Uh, every year I take a lot of cuttings and, uh, you know, and, and start them for new plants. Mm-hmm. And I'm always puzzled. If, should I put those cuttings in a clear container like glass or an opaque container? Should I have them in the sun or in the shade, and should they be in a warm temperature like my south window or in a cooler area to get started? Wow, good questions. But you've done this before, so you must have a sense of what works. Well, no, because I, <laughs> I start them all over the place, and then I forget which ones I started where. <laughs> okay. Okay, so heat or warmth is always important for plants when we're propagating particularly. Not too hot, obviously, but... Um, any, any biological processes are going to happen faster in a warmer environment. And what you're doing when you take cuttings is you're trying to get the plant to grow roots. So you're wanting the plant to actually do something. So a warmer environment is definitely going to encourage root growth more so than a cool environment. So there's that one. Uh, opaque versus clear, I would go clear, <clears throat> partially because in a clear glass container, your green stems of your geranium are able to still absorb sunshine and do what they're supposed to be doing, which is photosynthesizing. Whereas if those stems are in a, a opaque container, you don't have as high a level of photosynthesis. So again, you're slowing down the physiology of the plant. So stay clear. And your third, what was your third question? Um, shade versus sun. Sun, definitely sun. 
temperature yeah. and sun. Thank yeah. you so much. You guys are wonderful. Take care. <laughs> Thank you for joining us here on a Saturday. It's always nice to welcome folks. Now, I'm wondering if I have time to. Yeah, I think I can squeeze this one in. What are you going to squeeze in? Uh, little, <laughs> a little note from Nancy Rolison, who listens in from Hagersville. Hi, Charlie and Frank. I have a Stephanopsis in a seven-inch clay pot that's been getting a lot of yellow leaves. I think it's root-bound. Should I repot into a bigger pot or change my watering? It's about seven or eight years old, has been repotted years ago. What type of soil should I use, and should I wait until spring? She okay. loves the show, good. she says. Oh, that's great. So, good question, and after I answer this question, Frank, can you please give up my email address so that oh. people can send e- more emails? Absolutely. And step and notice, uh, for those of you that aren't picturing what this is, this is a very fragrant, is a plant that blooms with white, fragrant flowers, very commonly used in bridal bouquets. It's a vining plant with glossy green leaves and super beautiful white fragrant flowers so um and it is commonly grown as a house plant but it can be a little bit difficult to grow it does not like sudden changes in temperature uh it is very attractive to some insects like mealybug and scale and i can speak for that because i have a stephanotis that has mealybug and i inspect it every single day and I pick off mealybug on an ongoing basis. At some point, I'm going to give up and <laughs> compost the plant. But for now, it's looking pretty good. So secrets of success with Stephanotis. Average warmth year-round, though cooler in the winter, 55 to 60 degrees. Bright light, um, uh, not in direct sun in the summer, of course, but bright, bright spot. Keep the compost moist at all times, but drier in the winter. Keep the humidity up. Repot in spring only, in spring every two years, and you can always take stem cuttings and start again. Okay. Okay. That, that's, uh, <laughs> is that it? Yeah. Well, okay. She says, are you be, kidding? Try, that was a whole bunch of stuff. because we're going to run out of time. <laughs> you, uh, yeah, we are coming up to the final minute of the show, so l- let me give you uh, Charlie's email address. It really is helpful for those uh, those of you who write little notes and questions. Charlie, here goes. C dot Dobbin, that's D-O-B-B-I-N at mzmedia.com. Okay, so shoot off your email uh, with a question to Charlie. And Charlie, it's been a fascinating show, a lot of great yeah. information there. Thank you very much. And yes, thank you, Frank. I couldn't do any of this without your help, and not to mention Carlos's help, and all of our listeners and our emailers and everybody else. So keep those questions coming. I know uh, we are looking out the window and we are dreaming about what's coming. So let's, uh, you know, let's keep talking till we can actually get out there and do some stuff. Speaking of talking, I, I did a presentation for the Cloverleaf Garden Club, my first ever virtual garden club presentation, which turned out quite well this past week. Oh, that's it had good. a rec- record-breaking attendance. Over 50 people uh, turned up for that Zoom event. So, uh, yeah, the, consider hiring me to do a Zoom event if you wish. I do all kinds of things on the side here to keep busy. Um, and, uh, and Frank, I miss seeing you. And uh, I see the car guys have, have pulled in. Yes, the boys are here. <laughs> uh, engines are revving in the background there. I can hear them. So take it easy, Frankie. See okay. you next week. And thanks, everybody. See you then. Thank you, honey. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. 
Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.